when we all sing, see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. And a hope and prayer every Sunday that we gather is that we're going to see Jesus in his word, that we'll see him for who he is. Now, we're seeing him a bit dimly because he's not here with us physically. He's here present in spirit. But oh, for that day when we see him face to face, what a victory, what a song, what a worship that will be. Uh, but God has shown us who Jesus is. And this morning we're going to begin a sermon series uh, through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, if you'll turn me to the very last book, the 66th book of Revelation. And let me just tell you, as a preacher for about 20 years, first time we're going into the book of Revelation. So uh, excited to do so. Um, with a little bit of fear, trepidation, but uh, joy and excitement. Because why? It gives us an amazing picture of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Our family had a missionary family over for dinner about a week ago. And I don't know, but something about being with missionaries, something about being with people that have given their life so holistically, so beautifully, so wonderfully to the cause of Christ that they're willing to go to a foreign land. They're kind of like, they're like heroes of mine. I mean, these are people who have who've left so much behind, a family, friends, what we're used to, to go and to be uh, missionaries, to go and to be those who give the good news of what Christ has done on a foreign field. I have so much respect for missionaries. But you think about what they have to do. They have to go and learn another language. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to heaven because I'm going to speak another language. I can't wait. I've always desired, je voudrais parler français bien, mais je ne parle pas français bien. I would love to speak another language. I can't, but missionaries, you got to go and you got to learn another language. And you got to go and you got to learn another culture because you don't want to, you know, make a fool of yourself and understand the cultural barriers. And you have to enter into a world that's quite different than their own. To be a missionary, you have to be, have a missionary mindset. Well, this morning as we begin a new sermon series through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation, we too, listen, we too need to have a missionary mindset to begin our journey. Why? Well, for us to understand Revelation, in many ways, we have to stand a little bit of a foreign language. This apocalyptic, pro prophetic language in the book of Revelation, it's a bit strange. It has symbols, it has imagery, it has numbers, dragons and demons and angels. It feels like it's a whole different language. It's a different genre for sure. We got to navigate a foreign culture. And as you read through the book of Revelation, there's often times where it does feel old and archaic. And yet at the same time, it feels futuristic and euphoric. That's an amazing book. This morning, we're going to enter into another world. But we're entering into a world where Jesus is and where Jesus is calling us to. Before we enter into that book of Revelation, let me give you a, a broad overview. We're going to spend a little bit more time this morning on an inter introduction before we jump into our points. But we need a bird's eye view. What is this book or this letter all about? And probably answer some key questions before we begin. So here we go. Who is this book about? Well, chapter 1, verse 1 tells us this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a book about Jesus. It's about Jesus' triumph. What we call this sermon series is called The Triumph of the Lamb. 
Uh, we're going to see when we get to chapters 4 and 5, this lamb who was slain but who's living, this lamb who is conquering over all things. The book of Revelation is a book or a letter about Jesus. What is this book about? Well, he will tell us again. It's about showing his servants the things that must soon take place or the things that have begun to take place. Who wrote this book? We're going to see in verses 4, 9, and 11. Uh, and again, this book is literally a letter. But John, uh, the beloved apostle, disciple of Jesus, wrote this letter. He wrote it in exile on the island of Patmos. But when you think of who wrote it, it's really, it says very clearly, God is going to give it to John. Watch this, it's pretty amazing. He's going to use an angel to help deliver it. Some parts of the letter, Jesus himself is going to be speaking even face to face with John. It's pretty amazing. So what is really happening is this, is it's going to be all empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's referred to as the one with seven spirits of heaven. That means the fullness of the Spirit was speaking directly to John. So what does that mean? It means this. Who wrote it? This is a registered letter from God through John. So to whom is this letter written? In verse 4 it tells us, to the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. I've had the privilege of being to many of these locations. There's not a lot there at many of these locations. To go back and look through the journey of what God has done through Paul's journey and now also through the uh, seven churches in Asia Minor. So what is this? It's a registered letter from God through John to the church us. So it's interesting. It wants to say, as soon as we begin, what are the blessings and curses of studying this book? Well, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud this prophecy. Yahoo! By preaching this, the one who reads aloud by being the preacher, there's a blessing, but it says there's something for you. Blessed are those who hear. So there's a blessing for preaching this. There's a blessing for hearing this. But there's also says, blessed is the one who kept what is written in it. The real blessing is for the doer of the word. We're not just to hear the word to be entertained. We are to hear the word to be moved and to do God's word. When you get to the end of the book, uh, it will tell us that cursed is anyone who adds on to this book. I got to tell you, there's some really nice moral people uh, that have written books beyond the Bible, things like the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Good Price. It's adding on. And God's word says, ooh, if you add on to what he said, he dropped the mic. There's no more words. It's a curse that comes from that reality. He'll even say, curse are those who take away from this. You can't just edit out what you don't want to read. You can't edit out what you don't like. The Jeffersonian Bible, you heard about Jefferson kind of taking out what he didn't like and keeping what he did like. It says that's, it's not right. It's a, a curse for that reality. But there's blessings to, to, to read it, to preach it, to hear it, but to do it. How do we interpret this book? Well, we are going to only be through the first five chapters, and the interpretation is not going to be as important as the 6 through 20, about 20. But there's a history. What we want to do, if we're thinking that missionary mindset, how have the historic views of people looking at this book? Now, I'm going to give you very quickly five views of history of how to er interpret. How do we understand this? The first one is this preterist approach. A preterist comes from the Latin word of things in the past. 
It basically says that all the events that happen in Revelation have already taken place. They've taken place in John's day, right before the destruction of the temple. And there's some good, God-fearing, loving people that say these events were very key to his life, and we can't take them beyond that. There's this historist approach that says, well, these are the events that took place from the time when Jesus first came to him coming again. There's this span of time, and all these things take place during that time until Jesus comes back again. It's all a part of this history from him coming to coming again. There's a futuristic approach. Uh, by the way, the history approach, historistic approach, was kind of like the reformers mostly felt about that in the 16th century. They kind of moved away from that. At the turn of the 20th century, a lot of the evangelicals had this futuristic approach that events that are talked about in this book will happen at the end times when Jesus returns at the end of the age. And that too is kind of lost vogue. But then there's this idealist approach that, well, these are just events that keep reoccurring in history. They just keep happening over and over again throughout the ages of the church. And so they're appropriate for all ages. And then there's this eclectic approach that says, let's just take the best of all of these views and throw out the things that don't work. But here's the bottom line. What's the approach? I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus wins. This is a story about him. This is a story about a lamb who is triumphant and how that triumph, watch this, affects your life today and how it gives us hope today. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not a puzzle that will just unlock all of future mysteries. What this is, is this is the triumph of a lamb. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his triumph of history, that history is all pointing to him. This is the portrait of Jesus. You're going to see Jesus different than you've probably ever seen him. And this is Jesus's message to his church. This morning, we're going to look at three things in the first eight verses of chapter one. We're going to see the revelation of the lamb. Who is this lamb? How is this book revealed Jesus? What is that portrait of the lamb? What does he look like? And then lastly, the triumph of the lamb. And how does that affect us today? So let's look to God's holy and errant word. Uh, we will again make our way uh, in the next 12 weeks through the first five chapters. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 1. But let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. Um, it was given to John at Patmos, but because the Holy Spirit gave it to him, it's a living word and it's for us today. So hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Revelation verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and, are, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, really Asia Minor at the time, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, that's a fancy way of saying the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, 
to him who loves us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all of Scripture. God, and we thank you for this book at the end of your story, this book that will show that your Son the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who is the Root of Jesse, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is victorious, that he is the reigning king, that he has and will defeat all of our enemies. And no matter what time we find ourselves in or where we find ourselves, you want to show us a portrait of Jesus that all of us need to see. Because sometimes all we could see are our needs and our brokenness. All we could see is our sorrow and our struggle and our sin. All we could see is is a world that seems so out of order and so chaotic. And what we need to see is the Lamb on the throne. The one who is worthy. So God, come with your spirit and show us a beautiful portrait of Christ and his triumph this morning. God, be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. God, what is abundantly clear, Father, is we need to hear your voice, not my ideas. So would you come and speak through a broken vessel? Would you come for your glory? Would you give us ears to hear your word, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly but the things that are said that are true and contain this glorious good news of the gospel, would you use those things to bring us hope, bring us life, and to make us more like your son? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. Okay, the first thing we're going to see this morning is this revelation of the Lamb, this apocalyptic unveiling of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1 says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. That word revelation, that, uh, that word we get apocalypse from, is really the unveiling. So what is happening here? It's the unveiling of the triumph of the Lamb. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus, the Lamb and his triumph. It's not primarily unveiling of world events, historic figures, secret codes to the future. It's not a Ouija board or a horoscope that unlocks future mysteries. It's primarily a book about the hero of all the Bible. It's a book about Jesus. It's about Jesus' triumph over all things. It's a book about Jesus ruling over all things. And we need to see Jesus for who he is, for who he was, and for who he is to come, this resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And what this is telling in the book of Revelation is this. I guarantee that you all came in here with an image of of who Jesus is. 
And it's basically saying this, it's not enough to know just Jesus in the manger. We just celebrated the Advent. We just celebrated that God would put on flesh and come and be born among us. That he would come as a child. But it's not enough to just to see Jesus in the manger. And it's not enough that we see Jesus on the cross. I mean, that whole Easter celebration, we have to see in the manger. And we certainly have to see him on the cross, bearing our sin and the wrath of God. But it's not enough. And it's not enough that we see Jesus in his resurrection. That he has triumphed over all of God's and our enemies that he is the living one. It's not enough. We need to see him as the triumphal lamb of revelation. This is a part of the story. And if you don't see him rightly with this, you don't see the world rightly. And we can only see the world rightly and ourselves rightly through the lens of the book of Revelation. It's really important. You know, it's interesting when you start digging into this, of when John wrote this. This was a terribly tumultuous time for the church. The Roman emperor, Domitian, was just a terribly evil man, worse than Nero. And he was killing Christians. And it was not good news to be a Christian. And, and this, this emperor was calling himself the Lord God. An evil, evil man. And it's a time when the church probably felt like, man, we're losing. Man, it's really tough being a Christian. I mean, it, it's, it's dangerous out there. You think the world is chaotic and dangerous now? When John wrote this, for a Christian standpoint of view, the whole thing looked to be toppling completely out of control. And yet he gives us this picture of revelation. It's not out of control. Yeah, there's bad things happening. But guess what? Jesus is still reigning. He's still ruling. He's still the one who holds all things together. It is through him that we have hope. You see, the church needs to understand the triumph of the Lamb of Revelation then and now, I'm telling you, I turn on uh, I, I, my phone, I look at what's happening, breaking news in the world events, and I get terrified. What in the world kind of world do we live in? You go to the book of Revelation, you realize, yeah, he told us we'd have some struggles like this. Yeah, this is a world we live in, but guess what? He conquers and he wins. So it was true when John wrote his book or letter that they needed hope, and it's true today. So it's also, it's the unveiling of who Jesus is. It's the unveiling of what's soon to take place or what must soon begin. The language there is, hey, this end times has begun. It started with Jesus' resurrection. We are in the last days. I don't know how long they'll be. They've lasted over 2,000 years. They may be another 2, 5, 10. They might be today. I don't know. But what I do know is we are in what Scripture calls the last days. And he's revealing to us what must soon take place. Many things in the book already have taken place. There's more things that will take place. But he is in control of all these things. It's the unveiling of the Lamb's message to the church. And this is what's most important. What Revelation is going to do, it's going to unveil who Jesus is. It's going to unveil what soon must take place. But it's really, it's going to say, listen, it's going to unveil what he wants to say to you and me. Jesus is the one. It's most important what Jesus views of the church. You can ask me my views of the church. Hopefully you'll consider them valid and worthy. I want to know your view of the church, but his opinion matters most. Why? Because he's the founder of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the judge of the church. His opinions count most. So when he speaks about the church, we need to lean in and say, what is that message for us? And that's where our focus is going to be, King's Chapel. Our focus is going to be specifically of what Jesus is saying to the seven churches and to us in the first five chapters, specifically chapter two and three. 
So that's the, the, the portrait, uh, that's the revealing that we're going to see. Then we got to see in this first few verses, the portrait of the lamb, the beautiful picture of who God is. And let me just give you some of the descriptions. Look back over this. This is going to be in verse 5, 7, and 8. This Jesus, he's called the faithful one, the faithful witness. The same verbiage was used in Jesus in front of Pilate in John 18, verse 37. They're saying Jesus is the faithful witness that was to come, to bear witness that God loves us and is for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the faithful witness that is telling us about salvation and life in Christ. So that faithful witness, he is the faithful one. And scripture is going to reveal Jesus as the faithful one that we can trust. But it's more, he is the loving one. I love what it says in 1 verse 18. It says about him that, let me back up and say, fear not, I am the first and the last. This is Jesus speaking, verse 18, and the living one, the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. We'll look back at that next week. But who is the unveiling of this portrait of this lamb? Jesus is the living one, the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? Well, you know, he raised Lazarus. I talked about that earlier. There's other people that were raised back to life, but he's the firstborn that has resurrected life. He's the first one that's fully conquered death. Everybody else who came back to life, guess what? They died again. This is the one who will forever live. What's the point? Your Savior will never die. He lives for the Father's glory and for us. We have an advocate. Life reigns. Death has been defeated. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, Whatever struggles, as much as death is knocking at your door and your family's door of all the brokenness we see, let's have hope that Jesus is the living one. And in his life, we have life. Or as Psalm 36 will say this, for in him is a fountain of life. He's a fountain of life. And in his light, we see light. So because he is the living one, we can live too. And when our parents struggle, and when our loved ones go through difficulties, and when cancer comes and brokenness comes, and it looks like death and decay is winning, Jesus is the living one. He's conquered death. Life wins in him. He's the ruling one. It says he's the ruler of kings on earth. Does it feel like it sometimes? I mean, how much do we need to be reminded that he's the ruler he tells us to pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I read through scripture and I keep praying that. And I need to be reminded of it, that right now our God sits on the throne. Right now our God is in control. It seems like the world is spinning out of control, but our God is the ruling one. But is more than that. He's not just a faithful one. He's not just the living one. He's not just the ruling one. He's the coming one. We're going to see him in the clouds. I mean, He's coming back. He promised his disciples. He promised us. And as the coming one, he's coming to bring judgment. It says those who have pierced him, they're, they're, they're going to be terrified. But he also comes to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He comes to bring us home. He's the coming one. It says he's the eternal one. He says, I love these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Even saying the word I am echoes of what Yahweh said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I am. I'm the eternal one. 
I am the beginning, I am the end, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. And he's also saying, I am the ever-present one. And here's what it means for us. Your life's going to go through cycles. Things are going to go up, they're going to go down. You're going to feel close to him, you're not going to feel close to him. There's going to be all this thing through all of history. And he says, I'm forever present, I'm forever with you. I am the beginning, I am the end. I will never let you go. I am the eternal one. I think for some of you, you just need to know he's the ever-present one. Those of you who are feeling lonely, those of you who are feeling distant, those of you who feel like God have you left the building, he hasn't. He is the ever-present one, the eternal one. And he is also the almighty one. The almighty. Oh man, how did John and the early church need to hear the reality of who Jesus is? How much they had to have the portrait of the lamb. I love the fact that you know that John had an images of Jesus. We're going to talk more about it next week. You know that John, who would lean on Jesus' side, who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know that his mind was blown away when he saw the resurrected Christ. Yeah, he was there and he saw him walk on water and he saw him raise Lazarus and he saw some really cool things and he was there and he saw him hang on the cross and he was there and he saw the resurrected Christ before he said it, but now he sees him and he gets this portrait of who he really is. And it changes everything. But then for us, we see the triumph of the Lamb. Even in these first eight verses, we'll see the spoils of victory to us because of what Jesus has done. It says this, the one who loves us. Don't miss that. God wants to tell you again this morning, the one who loves us. And who is this one? It's the one who has defeated and will defeat all of our enemies the one who rules over all things, the one who is worthy of all worship and praise, the one who has all that strength and power and glory, he's the one who loves us. He loves us. And he's for us. So we join in his victory chant, in his dance, no matter where you are. His victory is ours. He loves us. Man, he couldn't demonstrate it more clearly that while we're still sinners, he'd send his son for us. He'll never stop loving us. Why? Because he is love. It's never based on our character. It's based on his. It's not conditional. It's unconditional in who he is. Hear it. He loves you. The triumph of the Lamb is the one who rules all things, is the one who loves you right where you are. But he's done more than that. He, who, the one who frees us. What does he free us? From our sins by his blood, it says. We are freed we are freed from the penalty of sin. Scripture will tell us the soul that sinneth shall surely die and the wages of sin is death. But because of his death, his atoning death on the cross, listen, he has paid the penalty of sin. God is going to deal with you as a father and there's going to become things in your life that don't feel good. But I can promise you this, you will never, if you're a child of God, for one nanosecond, be punished because of your sin. Why? Because all that punishment was placed on Jesus. All the wrath was placed on him. He paid fully the penalty from sin. We are free. But not just the penalty of uh, sin, he's freed us from the power of sin. He's given us the ability that we're dead in our trespasses and sins to live for him. And I know it's a struggle. Man, do I mess it up every day. But scripture will tell us he's given us everything we need to live godly lives. He's freed us from the penalty and the power of sin. And you know the glorious book of Revelation tells us that one day he will free us from the presence of sin. Hit pause. There's a day coming in Christ Jesus 
that you will not have the ability any longer to be a knucklehead. You will not have the ability any longer to forget, to wander, to cheat, steal, lie, lust. A day is coming. Today's a day penalty paid. Today's the day power done. A day's coming presence of sin removed. Long for that day. The one who has freed us. And the last one, the one who has made us. What did he make us? It says he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. You see, here's incredible. The ultimate goal for us as his children, the ultimate goal, according to Scripture, is to be made a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? The ultimate goal, this whole thing about the gospel, is that we will be royal servants of God. The ultimate goal is not our happiness, although we get that. It's not our comfort, although we have that too. See, God loves us, and God frees us to make us something. And he makes us his royal representatives, right where you are. Ambassadors, that's who you are in Christ. His story, that's who you are. Part of his kingdom, because he's your king, telling his story through you. That's who we are. You see, we need to have a missionary mindset, not just to understand the book of Revelation, but to fully live our lives for his glory. We have to have a missionary mindset. Why? Because he wants to tell a broken world good news through you and me. Go figure. For the way we live our lives, the fact that we have hope in the midst of despair, joy in the midst of sorrow, because the living one is with us and the living one is for us and we are his and he has set us free. We need to live our lives like foreigners and aliens in this world, like exiles. The good stuff still to come when we see him face to face. We're to live our lives not trapped by what the world offers, but by longing for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We have to have a missionary mindset because we're just here to reflect his glory until he brings the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation reminds us every day, every moment, Jesus wins. And if Jesus wins, watch this, we win too. No matter what. No matter what. We win. And there's joy there. This book of Revelation wants to unveil who Jesus is and give us a portrait that we've never seen, that gives us hope that we all long need to have for today and forever. Do you know the Lamb of God? Do you know him? Do you know the triumph of the Lamb? Has it become personal to you? Is it a part impacting everything in your life? Our hope and prayer is that it will. After the service, there'll be those who are going to come up front and would love to pray with you, uh, pray for you, uh, maybe pray and help you understand who this Lamb of God, this Jesus is in your own life. Maybe through a struggle you're going through. But may we see him rightly. And may we have hope. Because Jesus wins. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the victory that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has won. And oh my goodness, he wins a victory by coming among us, living among us a life we failed to live, dying a death we deserve to die, and overcoming sin and death and being resurrected, the living one. We thank you that he is the ruling one, both today and forevermore. 
He is the eternal one. God, we thank you for the reality of who he is and who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, what I know that we need more than anything is to be reminded of his victory, to remind that he loves us, to remind that he has freed us, and to remind us that he has made us his own. What good news is ours. And God, may we be so transformed by that reality that we leave here as his ambassadors with a missionary mindset to tell the good news. Our God has loved knuckleheads like us, and he's made us his own, and he wants the world to know him through us. Thank you for that grace. In Christ's name, amen.